fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. Hello, it's us. I definitely thought you were going to start off by singing the Uh, most famous song from our scary tale today. What is the most famous one? Probably part of your world, right? I was going to say Under the Sea. Oh, that too. Or Kiss the Girl. Oh, okay. Well, so there's lots of popular ones from The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid. Um, I do enjoy how we're always like, we do this little banter in the beginning and we're like, can you guess what it's going to be about today? And it's like, did they read the title before they clicked on the episode? I haven't thought about that until now, but I bet some of these people are excited because people have been asking about The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid, actually. Yeah. The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid. (laughs) Little Mermaid. <laughs> I have a litter robot. Tangents. It's like a, yeah. <laughs> uh, so today, the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. We thought it would be a good summer, summer episode for you. Because mm-hmm. mermaids live in the sea, and you just and mer- you can listen to this while you're at the beach. You can look in the waves, try to look for the mermaids. Mm-hmm. And I think, and you can tell me if this is a good idea, this is just about the Little Mermaid, and then later we can do an episode about mermaids and sirens. Yeah, I I thought that too, because there's a um, book that I was looking at that's like a bunch of different fairy tales, folklores, legends, myths about mermaids. Uh Uh-huh. Because there's more than just Ariel. Yes, there is. We talked a little bit about this with Peter Pan. Did we? Because they had the mermaids in Peter Pan, and in the original story, they're Mm -hmm. a lot more like mean right in, in the in the disney one mm-hmm. which speaking of disney little, as we normally do we start off with the disney summary yes we do the little mermaid came out in 1989 for some reason i thought it came out in the 90s but we Almost. weren't even we weren't even a thought in our mother's eye is that how the phrase goes maybe okay uh came out in 1989 if you haven't watched it what are you doing but the movie Follows the story of a 16-year-old mermaid princess who is bored with life under the sea and curious about the human world. Uh, King Triton, her father, forbids people from having contact with humans. But one night, she saves Prince Eric from drowning and falls in love with him. Only problem is, she doesn't have legs. Just a minor minor Inconven- detail inconvenience so she makes a deal with the sea witch ursula and in exchange for her voice ursula will give her human legs but ursula tells her that she only has three days to receive true love's fi- final ki- oh <laughs> i read that as final kiss i was like <laughs> first kiss or she will turn into a polyp and be ursula's forever eric finds ariel washed ashore without her voice and he immediately believes that this is the girl who saved his life. And everyone in the castle just believes that she's survived a shipwreck. So nothing weird there. Things are going really well. They go on a little boating date. You know, the kiss, that's where the kiss the girl comes in. But then Ursula decides that, you know, she might want to try her hand at Eric. So she disguises herself as a human named Vanessa. And she uses Ariel's voice to trick Eric and hypnotize him into forgetting about Ariel. Eric is set up to marry Ursula or Vanessa at this point, and she has Ariel's voice and a shell around her neck, and at some point, the shell breaks, and it releases Ariel's voice, and she is able to warn him that Ursula is not who she says she is, and he realizes uh, that Vanessa is not Ariel. He runs to kiss Ariel, but it's too late, and she turns back into a mermaid. This you know, Ursula being found out, it pisses her off, and she kidnaps Ariel and runs away into the sea. She steals Triton's trident and his crown and turns into this giant sea witch whirlpool thing that's just about to eat everybody until Eric uses the bow of his ship to stab her in the gut and saves the girl, Ariel. Uh, 
trident finally sees that Eric is a good and willingly lets Ariel turn into a mermaid. I mean, not a mermaid. She's already a mermaid, Lacey. Into a human. And Eric and Ariel get married, live happily ever after, the whole shebang. So that is the Disney's Little Mermaid. Which I will say, the stabbing her in the gut part Mm -hmm. feels a little gruesome for Disney. It does. With the bow of the ship. Yeah, with the bow of the ship. Mm -hmm. I mean, that feels a little edgy edgy disney uh would you like to know some fun facts about disney's little mermaid yes you want to we've got a a bunch for you you want to alternate these sure uh a movie about a mermaid named the name of the movie i had never heard of this it was called splash had just been released around that time and disney almost didn't want to make the little mermaid because they thought it was too close to the splash movie and also the mermaid in the splash movie had blonde hair so when they finally decided to make the little mermaid they wanted they ariel yeah ariel to be different and um her tail was green so another great primary color for that would be red and they just flowed really well together and that's where um, i've never heard of splash i haven't either is that on disney plus probably need to look that up uh, another fun fact for you, the actress who voiced Ariel, her name is Jodie Benson. She sang, I like this one, she sang Part of Your World in the dark just to get a feel of for what like singing underwater would be like, like it's... in Ariel's little underwater grotto. What's that called when actors like do that? When um, they like try to like immerse themselves in the character. Yeah, what is that lives? called? I don't know, but I appreciate that. Method acting. Yeah, I That's appreciate it. that. There you go. Patrick Stewart, you know, uh, King, not King, um, Captain Picard from Star Trek was originally set up to voice King Triton, but Star Trek scheduling conflicts interfered with that. So I can see him. I can see him being a good King Triton voice. Yeah. Uh, another character for you, Alyssa Milano. Uh, she is who supposedly inspired Ariel's looks. The animator for Ariel uh, had a picture of Alyssa and a few other famous actresses at the time and was trying to kind of look at all of them and figure out what was deemed attractive mm-hmm. where, I guess the, where color, is, the colors came more from trying to be different yeah than the other movies and then she kind of was the face of what looked where is Alyssa milano i don't know what's she doing i don't know i wonder if she knows that about herself <laughs> probably the voice of adult character prince eric was actually played by a 17 year old boy and he was young but his voice was deemed mature enough to play the role and that's a little creepy but there you go yeah that's mm-hmm. interesting we love a deep voice though killian murphy <laughs> nothing else that's just just <laughs> that's heavy just... side uh originally ariel was supposed to have a dolphin sidekick named beaker and i'm just well, I would like that. I'm just upset that that didn't make the cut. Yeah, instead of flounder, we like yeah. flounder, but a dolphin. I mean, well, dolphin aren't dolphins supposed to be like they're kind of like the the dog counterpart of the sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give, give us Beaker. Yeah, we weren't we weren't on that um the movie team, so they didn't ask us. Ursula is essentially a mix of Bay Arthur, who's one of the Golden Girls, Joan Collins, who plays on Dynasty, and Divine, which who was a very popular drag queen. And an octopus. And an octopus. But if you look at pictures of Divine, which I did, um, the Ursula looks exactly like Interesting. Her. Mm-hmm. And then they had to throw an animal in there because it's a kid's show. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Speaking of Ursula, in the movie, she only has six tentacles. But she's an octopus. Which is supposed to have eight. Uh, wait, but did they, are they counting her two arms as the other two? Oh. I bet that's it. I bet she's got the six tentacles and then two arms because she's half human, half octopus. Oh, I see. I see. There you go. That was smart. Math. Now, this one, this one gets me. Ariel is actually cousins with Hercules because if you think about it, Hercules' dad is Zeus and Ariel's dad is King Triton, who is the son of Poseidon. That's Zeus's brother. So if you're keeping up, that makes Ariel and Hercules' first cousins once removed. And I can never figure that out. My brain, like after you go like a couple things back, I'm like, what? Once, there, I don't understand the once removed thing. There are a lot of like threads, like those Reddit threads or theories where they show you how like every Disney movie is connected. And that's how they do a lot of it is they'll say like this person's first cousins mm-hmm. twice removed with this person and this person, like this element shows up in this movie and in this movie. How many times can you be removed? I don't know. That, that confuses me. A lot. Math. I guess. 
Anyways, just just some wrapping up some fun facts about The Little Mermaid. Which, apparently, Disney's movie version is not the only movie version. I was um, watching a video about the origins of The Little Mermaid, and the original story is by someone we've talked about before, Hans Christian Andersen. But I think there was a movie version of his version. Oh. I think there's a movie version of his, like, original story somewhere out there. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of years they made another one. Like I've a live heard. action one yeah. or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were supposed to. I know. I thought they were too. Maybe was COVID it, um, happened. Wasn't John Stamos supposed to be somebody? Who's he, he going to be? Old man? Like the like adult Eric? I don't know. John Stamos? He's getting up know. there. I don't know. That's okay. just this is where I went. All right. In the original story of The Little Mermaid, obviously, if you've been around here, you know it's a little bit darker. It features uh, attempted murder and suicide and a little bit of stalking. Mm-hmm. So, here we go. We love that. Yeah. This, The Little Mermaid, so the title is still the same, Danish fairy tale written by, like we said, Hans Christian Andersen. First published in 1837, uh, he had this collection of book or stories called Fairy Tales Told for Children. In the original version, The Little Mermaid turns 15 and when you were a mermaid or mer person when you turn 15 you were finally allowed to swim to the surface and get a glimpse of the world above so she had all these older sisters that were she was the youngest so they all got to see the world before her so she kind of grew up just hearing all these stories of of land mm-hmm. so this was a, a birthday celebration similar to disney's version she when she finally gets to go up to land she sees this celebration honoring the prince but there is a storm the ship that the prince is on sinks she saves him and sets him ashore on the grounds of a temple i don't know i guess she just knew that the temple would it's just temples lying around everywhere right so she originally you know is the one who essentially saves him but when she drops him off at this you know the steps of this temple there's another woman there who finds him and I guess nurtures him back to health. Mm -hmm. And so he wakes up thinking she's the woman who saved him. You hate to see it. Right. So off the bat, love triangle, Mm -hmm. mistaken identity. Yeah. This obviously upsets the little mermaid whose name is not Ariel in the original. It's just the little mermaid. She's just the littlest, the little mermaid, Mm -hmm. the tiny mermaid, the youngest. This upsets her. And she goes to talk to her grandmother who tells her all these stories about humans. Her mom is not in the picture, which is similar to Disney. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't know the story behind that. I would love to. Maybe you she. You hear be- that part? I do. Wow, that's loud. We're living in our own fairy tale okay. over here. <laughs> that's what we'll go with. She says that although this is her grandmother speaking, although humans live a much shorter life than mermaids, which mermaids were supposed to live three hundred years, humans get to go to heaven when they die, while mermaids just turn into sea foam and cease to exist. So the mermaids have a longer life, but humans have a mortal life, but it's they have the op- opportunity for eternal life. Mm-hmm. To solve this, so that her grandmother tells her that the one way that a mermaid can have a soul or be given a soul of her own as if she finds true love. You kind of see this in the movie version, uh, but the little motivations are different. Mm -hmm. They're a little more complicated than the original. In the movie, it's more just true love for true love. Mm -hmm. In this one, it's... She needs a soul. Right. In this one, it's true love for the sake of eternal life. Right. So she now wants to, to marry the prince even more so she can have this eternal soul, which is why she goes and visits the sea witch in order to search for a solution to her problem. And the sea witch plays like a fairly minor role in this. Like she's not this massive villain like Ursula is. Mm-hmm. She's just the one that helps her get to land. Right. And she's not the one that like comes back and tries to attack yeah. her in the end. This sea witch gives her a potion that says it will give her legs in exchange for her tongue, similar to the movie. No, However, it's not similar. What's not similar, yeah, is that it's not, it does, it, her voice just doesn't go exist in this little necklace shell thing. She cuts her tongue out. Yeah. How's she going to grow that back? I don't know. They actually never talk about that. Anyway, mm. 
Uh, so she does not have this voice. And also with the legs, it's supposed to be this like excruciating pain where it feels like a sword is splitting your bottom half into, which makes sense because uh-huh. she's got the tail. But it's supposed to be super painful. And like and, every time she takes a step, it feels like knives are going under Right. Her so she lets her know. The sea witch is like, hey, like, yeah, I'll do this for you, but it's going to be super painful. And uh-huh. the little mermaid's like, yes. Yes. I'll I do wouldn't. It. I don't care about my tongue. Pain. I'll trade the pain for eternal mm-hmm. an eternal soul. Let me say this, just what? so we can point it out. That bird outside is going bananas. I know. And what, there's nothing you can do about it. No. Just be quiet for a second. Listen. <laughs> it's fine. I think it makes us, all of these stories have, an, the Disney versions have animals yeah, in them, so it just, just makes me feel like a Disney Yeah, princess. we're just out at sea. Yeah. That's just a seagull out there. That. Can we, can we uh, scuttle. put some uh, wave sound yeah, in the background sh- of this too the sh- whole time? Chase, edit that in right here. Thank you. The Little Mermaid drinks this potion. She gains her legs. Super painful experience, but this allows her to dance really well. Which I don't, I'm not going to get into the logic of that. Mm-hmm. Every time she steps, it is like, like she's walking on knives, which I get because she's never walked before. Mm-hmm. But she's also just very graceful and a very good dancer. She's very delicate. They describe her as being light on her feet, probably because her feet are killing her every step. But mm-hmm. that's all she's got because she has no voice. The witch then goes on to tell her that she will obtain an eternal soul only if she wins the love of the prince and marries him. Mm-hmm. Similar to our story. However... At dawn on the first day after his wedding to someone else, if he marries someone else, the very next morning she will die and dissolve into sea foam. Mm, you hate to see it. Right. So she's got a quick quick turntable. And we already know that he's in love with someone else, basically. He thinks mm-hmm. someone else. Mm-hmm. Like She already knows that so- he has eyes on someone else before right. she makes this deal. Got to risk it for the biscuit. She does. The Little Mermaid turns up naked on the shore uh outside of his castle so she has no animals to help her find a makeshift dress Mm -hmm. he sees that she's beautiful and that she's graceful not sure how she's graceful with painful feet and no clothes but he sees that however he's already arranged to be married to the neighboring kingdom's princess so his Mm -hmm. he's a prince his king and queen his parents are the king and queen they've arranged for him to marry royalty not random stranger found on the beach. Random naked stranger. Random found naked on the beach. stranger found on the beach. They used to who be a mermaid. Who can't speak. Who can't speak and her feet hurt. Yeah. He says he doesn't want to marry the little mermaid because he doesn't love her. And he thinks she's beautiful, but he doesn't love her. He's in love with the woman from the temple that saved him. Mm-hmm. Because he's he thinks that that's who nurtured him back to, or that saved him. She did nurture him back to health, but he doesn't know. Later on, he finds out that the princess is actually the woman from the temple. She was sent there by her parents, and he then declares his love for her, and their wedding is announced. Which, Not good for no, Little Mermaid. Yeah, obviously leaves her brokenhearted. She runs to the sea, thinking of all the pain that she's endured for nothing. Her sisters come to the surface, and they have tried to offer her an out. They went to the sea witch... They exchanged their beautiful hair for a knife, Mm -hmm. which would have been able to help her. And their hair was supposed to be like their most prized possession. I mean, it's what made them beautiful. Mm -hmm. So the knife would turn her back into a mermaid only if she stabbed the prince in the heart with it and let his blood drop on all over her feet. Mm Mm-hmm. deal or no deal a little bit creepy deal or no deal do you take it to live forever or do you let the love of your your life live and stay seafoam tough tough call never i've never been seafoam so it's hard to say it's hard to say seafoam is a pretty color yeah and like if you get a crayola pack of whatever i recently bought a pack 120 seafoam is one of the best colors there you go well now you're you're just every time you use that color you can Mm -hmm. think that you're coloring with the essence of the, the little mermaid of after she de- died dead mermaids yep. dead soulless mermaids mm-hmm. that's what seafoam there you is. go she can't bring herself to do it she is watching the prince while he sleeps which is again it's a little bit creepy she can't kill him she instead decides to throw the knife into the back into the ocean and she contemplates throwing herself off the ship in the morning when the dawn breaks because that's when she's supposed mm-hmm. to die anyway 
when she does this, her body's supposed to dissolve. And the next morning, it's supposed to dissolve into foam. But instead of ceasing to exist, when she throws herself off the boat, she just all of a sudden is like, like taken up in the air by these ethereal air spirits ghosts that word is urethral if you've been here if you've been yeah if you've been here here and you're me Lacey loves the scientific version of Mm -hmm. that which is not accurate Mm -hmm. but she they're these beautiful they're described as the daughters of the air Mm -hmm. which is i guess that's a whole nother they're kind of like these angel air people yeah yeah they're yes Mm -hmm. and so instead of her becoming sea foam and dying she's given another chance to earn her own soul by so she's like allowed to live for 300 years but she has to do these good deeds for the rest of her mm-hmm. life and then if she does that she'll go into the kingdom of god aka she'll have a a, a soul, soul. Mm-hmm. and i saw where hans was originally thinking about naming the story daughters of the air which i wouldn't have liked no because think about the disney movie being named after that and the whole movie's about somebody that lives in the On, sea in the, water. in the water right yeah so so good on his part and there you have it so does she ever get her voice back? I don't know. But probably not because you can't grow a tongue. No, and the prince and the this princess, they live happily ever, ever after. after. They yeah. wake up the next morning and they don't know where she is mm-hmm. and they're like, well, oh well. Yeah. And that is why the conclusion to Hans Christian Anderson, The Little Mermaid, is one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted stories, endings in Western, Western literature. And there were so many different theories I was reading on this. Some people yeah. got so pissed about the way this ended and that's what we're going to talk about now which i i think if you don't know the story behind the story which is why we do this Mm -hmm. then it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. and it's harder to grasp and sometimes you look and you you figure out the story behind the story and you're still kind of confused like with um alice in wonderland right you hear the story behind the story and you're still like still weird Uh uh-huh still unusual still great but this one i think still it makes more sense Mm mm-hmm when you hear the story behind it. So some people are arguing that the events of this story were building towards like a super tragic conclusion. And that's what they wanted. And that's what they wanted. But then having these, you know, daughters of the air floating and saving people at the end was kind of a, their version of, kind like, of like a, a cop out. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think. Cause it was, I mean, headed in a dark direction. I mean, mm-hmm. she could have stabbed the prince and yeah, that could have been the ending. It's kind of like he just, to me, it's kind of like he just threw that in there at the end. Yeah. With, instead of throwing in a happily ever after. Yeah. Because I at least appreciate that, that it's mm-hmm. not the like, oh, and then they live happily ever after. At least it's something different. Yeah. His stories, Anderson's stories, were called fairy tales, but unlike Grimm Brothers, who mostly recorded like old oral folk tales that were told from like generations to generations, Hans Christian Anderson's were mostly original. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't just retelling old stories and putting a twist on it. He created a lot of these. He put his own like idiosyncrasies as a writer in them. His stories were anywhere from joyful to mellow to devastating. But throughout all of them, he incorporated a lot of very religious, like Christian worldviews, mm-hmm. which again, just like worldview is always... I mean, as the teacher part of me, worldviews always incorporate into what you write, whether you, I think whether you realize it or not, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're atheist or Christian, it's, it slips in there just because it's what you believe. Mm -hmm. Once you kind of have that understanding of his Christian imagination and just all these religious things that sneak in into these tales, I think you can understand more clearly why Anderson ends his story the way he does. Yeah. Because the whole thing about the eternal life, like that's the whole, which Disney just takes that whole thing out. Right. I don't know if they just thought that like. It's too deep. It was too deep the for the kids, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, he, it, when he talks about the eternal life, he does it in a way that is trying to teach this ending, you know, not just throwing away this chance that Ariel, not Ariel, the little mermaid has this mortal happiness by refusing to kill the prince and accepting death like she doesn't want to kill him she accepts her fate Mm -hmm. she accepts her death even if it's not what she 
originally hoped for, but then she's still kind of saved in the end because by accepting her death is how she gains her life, mm-hmm. which is very biblical. I mean, even in Matthew ten thirty nine, it says, He that findeth his life, his life shall also lose it, and he that shall lose his life for me shall find it. So mm-hmm. it's not until she, like, accepts her fate that she gets what she was hoping for in the beginning. Right. So that's one part. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this other story he was influenced by? Sure. Um, Anderson was influenced by a story called, would you say Undyne or Undine? I think Undyne. Undyne. It's another story about a mermaid gaining a soul through marriage. But he felt that his ending was an improvement compared to this one. And in 1837, shortly after completing his manuscript, Anderson wrote to a friend, quote, I have not, like De La Motte, and I guess that's the author of mm-hmm. Undyne, allowed the mermaid's acquiring of an immortal soul to depend upon an alien creature, upon the love of a human being. I'm sure that's wrong. It would depend rather much on a chance, wouldn't it? I won't accept that sort of thing in this world. I have permitted my mermaid to follow a more natural, more divine path. Anderson was concerned that the story's meanings would appeal best to adults, but wrote in the foreword to fairy tales told for children quote i dare presume however that the child will also enjoy it and for that what's that word denouement denouement itself plainly considered will grip the child so because yeah i mean so he's like life's a yeah fairly adult like, concept but the kids will get it right yeah but start the, them young. but the, add a fishtail on the mm-hmm. main character and you gotta start them, it. you gotta start them young you'll enjoy this last night we tried to make solomon watch harry potter and start him young and we were like, it's magic and monsters. And he was like, yeah, but I want monster yeah, trucks. Monster trucks. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could have I called that one. So I bet the, the kids in these days were just like, but I want my marbles and right. jumping jacks. They probably they probably liked, like, who was the one I hated? Not Peter Pan. Pinocchio. Pinocchio. They probably yeah, wanted yeah. Pinocchio back. Yeah. I, there's another uh, commentator, P.L. Travers. The, oh, um, just P.L. Travers. Just the, just the author of Mary Poppins. We haven't done Mary Poppins yet, have yeah. we? There we you go. Write that down. We'll do an episode on Mary Poppins. He did He did not he, enjoy no, the story. He didn't. He was uh, quoted saying, the fin- This final message is more frightening than any other presented in the tale. The story descends into the Victorian moral tales written for children to scare them into good behavior. Anderson, this is blackmail, and the children know it and say nothing. There's a magnanimity for you. Ooh. So he didn't like it. Burn. Because there was also one thing I read where the uh, those like daughters of the air, if mm-hmm. they came across a good kid, they got one year of their like three hundred year sentence mm-hmm. taken off, and if they came across a bad kid, the it added a year. So it's like so you're part of it was also my else's soul. Right. If you're so, not yeah, good, exactly. So part of it was like if you're a bad kid, like you're adding you're adding years to little to the little right. mermaid sentence. But like so is Santa Claus, same thing. Right. You good? You get you know presents bad coal. So this is the part that I think makes me like the ending of this. You're talking about the tea? Yeah. You like that? Okay, here's here's what I like okay. is that it makes more sense. I think a lot of authors write from their their personal experience mm-hmm. and a lot of times they try to they write what they know or they write what they're feeling. Yeah. And I think when you add in this religious, moral, eternal life thing, I just like that better than, and then they all live happily after, mm-hmm. ever after, because I don't think that's real life, mm-hmm. you know? So I appreciate that he was trying to put some more, like, reality mm-hmm. into it. But anyway, so it's said that Hans Christian Andersen was bisexual and that he was um, in love with a heterosexual man who did not return his affections just AKA, like the mermaid AKA, yeah mm-hmm. like the little mermaid and the prince yeah this kind of unrequited love theme the man's name was edward Covet or colon uh he was upper class wealthy handsome extremely he he did not he did not return anderson's love mm-hmm. like i mean he thought point, he like, was yeah. grossed out by it yeah yeah well because he lo- he liked women and uh-huh. anderson you know and he so he just was totally against that he wrote him, Anderson wrote Colin lots of different letters. You want to read this quote from one of his love letters to oh, him? Oh, you would make me read it. Oh, yeah. I always like to tell Anderson, you Anderson, uh, you know, he just went for it. He put all his cards in and he wrote a letter to this man and said, I long for you. Yes. This moment I long for you as if you were a lovely girl. 
I don't, no one have I wanted to thrash as much as she wants. But neither has anyone been loved so much by me as you. My sentiments for you are those of a woman. The femininity of my nature and our friendship must remain a mystery. What is he trying to say there? He likes him he, a lot. He does. Thrash so, him, thrash him around. Well, and then um, Edward Cullen, he marries mm-hmm. a lady. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it just like the end, story. Just like the story, it does not end with this happily ever after for the main character. So for Hans um, Christian Anderson, he his the person he loved married someone else Mm -hmm. and he wrote the story right after the edward guy got married yeah yeah and there's another thing i read that talked about you know obviously hans would be more of like the aerial mermaid Mm -hmm. like you don't have a soul you're not going to heaven type of person because of the 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 religious views of homosexuality and then this prince eric would be more of the Uh the guy that he loved marrying some other right. lady it's sad so poor Hans. but it makes but that i i can appreciate him not wanting to end with a like cliche you know they all have happily because ever. that's not what happened because in that, his own life. Well, it's not what happened in his own life and mm-hmm. i think he's trying to show you that like i don't think he was trying to like manipulate all these victorian children like the freaking like the peter pan one person man. said yeah where i think that he was writing from his experience. Yeah. Well, bless him. Bless. That's the Little Mermaid. And, uh... It could have been a lot darker. It could, it could have, have been. been stabbed and Prince stabbed in the heart and she gets to mm-hmm. go back to being a mermaid. No. But, but I'm sure we'll cover more Hans Anderson's tales in the future, but that's probably yeah. the most popular one. Yeah. He's got a lot. He sure does. Um, we're going to head to snack break and, you know, take a little As breather. We As we do. And... A little we'll, breather before the... The dark stuff. Yeah, and we'll catch you on the flippity flop. Ah, snack break. I don't even think Hannah knew we were recording, and she just went. Ah, oh, sorry. Welcome back to the snack break. We're bringing you a repeat snack today. Because it was so good, we just had to hit you with it twice. And because they sent us, our friends over at Frozen Bean sent us quite a lot of flavors. And so mm-hmm. we didn't feel like, we just kind of rattled through some of them last time. Yeah. But we wanted to tell you about a special one today. Yeah. If you don't remember Frozen Bean, it is a instant coffee latte frappe mix that you can make at home. It's mm-hmm. instant. They've got good quality ingredients. 100% Arabica bean. And they've got uh, really just very unique and innovative flavors. You can get kind of your basic stuff like cookies and cream, but you can also get some funky stuff. One of them being, you can make a splash with their ocean-hued frappe fit for a siren. It's called the Mermaid Frappe Mix, and it's blue raspberry and vanilla bean. So it is a bright blue drink. Mm -hmm. And just like the ocean. Just Just like like some sea foam. And, and they're it, very tasty. Very. And they're, and they're super easy. I think that's what I like about it the most is that you take the pouch it comes in, you dump it in dump your... Dump it in. You can make it hot, cold, yeah. anything you want. We recommend making the mermaid frappe cold, and we also recommend sipping it on the beach while you look at the ocean. Might as well. Uh, head on over to their Instagram, the Frozen Bean. They make a bunch of different delicious-looking snacks and put oh, them yeah. up on their thing. They're, every time they I look decorate at one, them really. Like, yeah. They decorate them way better than we decorate yeah. ours. They've yeah. got, like, whipped cream and sprinkles. Sprinkles, and, all the things, candy cane sticking out of them. But, yeah, go ahead and visit them. Get you a mermaid frappe and um, maybe listen to this episode while you sip on it. Yep. I don't know. Do you it. listen to this episode while you're at the beach, summertime, drink uh-huh. a mermaid frappe. You're welcome. Perfect summer. Now we gotta go on to the true crime. Hope you enjoyed the f- the first part of this episode. I will say this one was... I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Some of them did too. are real weird or real dark. This one just this made one was, sense. It made, it made everything make more sense. Yeah. Well, I texted Hannah. Sometimes I do when I get stuck. And I said, what what true crime should we talk about on today's episode? And she was like, I don't know, somebody drowning? And I was like, perfect. Yep. 
the ocean. I Eric we, almost drowned. The prince and the little mermaid almost drowned. Yeah. Merm, and we're not even Just, talking about sirens today, but they sing songs they to people, people so they drown dr- them. Yeah. yeah, that's true. See, it's perfect. Um, so today we're going to talk about the mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood. Have you ever heard of this? I have not, but let me just say from the picture that you have on our uh-huh. notes, she is beautiful. She is she looks drop like, dead gorgeous. She looks like just like classic Hollywood movie star. Yeah, yeah she's beautiful. So somebody definitely so, murdered her. If you don't know, she is a very famous actress who, or she was, who co-starred with James yes. Dean, Rebel Without a Cause, Rebel Without a Cause, and Maria and West Side Story, and a lot of other stuff. So, very you famous. You recognize her face, maybe mm-hmm. even if you don't recognize her name. Right. Um, very famous actress who, um, as you can tell by when I first started this section of the show, I said she drowned mysteriously, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So. She was the daughter of Russian immigrants. Natalie Wood was born Natalia. Oh, gosh, you know these Russian names. It's just give me flashbacks to the Dyatlov <laughs> incident. Um, I'm just going to say it how it looks in my brain. Natalia Nikolavina Dakarinko. I feel like a lot of Russian names have like Inko or something like that on the end. It's like... Dorinchenko like from the other story. I think some of them... I think sometimes it's like in, in English where you have John's son, which means like son mm-hmm. of John. It's like their oh, version of like son of, so, son of so-and-so, daughter of so-and-so. Could be. She was born on July 20th, 1938 in San Francisco, California. Her parents were day laborer and carpenter Nikolai Stepanovich Derachtakarenko and housewife Maria Zudalova. Nikolai was born somewhere in Russia. I can't pronounce that. And he was the son to a chocolate factory worker. I just thought that was so pleasant. Also considering that Maria's father, so Natalie's grandfather, was a um, owner of a soap and candle factory. So you got soap, candles, and chocolate just everything that that's I love. literally you mm-hmm. yes i do enjoy all of those things you do natalie's parents had to migrate to montreal because of there was a russian civil war going on at the time and her father eventually moved the family to san francisco where natalie was born natalie's mom was i'm just gonna go ahead and say a horrible person and she was the type to live her life or attempt to live her life vicariously through her child so natalie's mom had this dream of becoming becoming an actress or a a ballerina she wasn't able to do this so she enrolled natalie into ballet classes at just four years old which isn't crazy that's about the time when my mom enrolled me but i do think there's a difference when a parent is enrolling you in that yeah the motive yeah the motive like Not because, oh, like a lot of little girls do it, but like Mm -hmm. you're going to be really successful at this because I wanted to be. Right. I was very self-aware and I distinctly remember going into my first class at like four years old and they were like, hug the teddy bear and blow kisses. And I I mean, just being like, no, this is Yeah, my ballet career was very short. Yeah. And my mom was like, that's fine. Yeah. And I I remember getting in the car and being like, mom, I don't want to do this. And the next year when it rolled around and I wanted to do it, she took me back. But we weren't forcing that on me because I was a child. You know what I mean? So I'm assuming that's going to have some like longer term. Uh, Oh, it does. And it just gets worse from there the family could not afford acting classes so maria would take natalie to the movies where she and natalie could study the films of childhood stars so it wasn't like a mommy daughter date to like like, studying yeah a traveler or gypsy once told maria that her second born daughter would become a star but to keep her away from dark water because she saw visions of her drowning that's Dun, dun, dun. And I think that's I think that's a very like Russian thing that they believe those types of like fortunes. Oh yeah. Um, at a very early age, Maria instilled a fear of water into Natalie and her two other sisters, which is very interesting considering the way this entire story turns out. But it was said that as a child she was so scared of water that she didn't like washing her hair. Oh. She, I mean, absolutely terrified. I imagine how I am of like cockroaches. The family eventually moved to Santa Rosa, where Natalie was discovered at four years old by members of a movie film crew, and the family eventually moved to Los Angeles, you know, where stars are born, and Natalie started to audition for movie roles. RKO Radio Pictures executive 
William Goetz and David Lewis chose the stage name Natalie Wood for her. Um, Natalie obviously coming from her real name, Natalia. But Wood was in reference to a famous director at the time named Sam Wood. I don't love that. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, just I just don't like the fact like... Don't Americanize someone's name. Like Natalia is a yeah, pretty I was, name. I was about to say that also is. Like I an do see the, how we could not pronounce her last name. And what I don't is, know a lot of actors and actresses choose stage names a lot of times for like anonymity, like mm-hmm. you know, from their kind of personal life. But right, I do think this was more of we're just going to Americanize mm-hmm. you. She landed her first role at five years old, where she played girl who drops ice cream cone, which just seems very suiting for a five-year-old. And that was on the movie Happy Land, and her scene lasted for 15 seconds. But that 15 seconds must just have been the most spectacular acting anyone she had ever dropped d- that cone real good. She dropped it so good. She was. Uh, it was good enough to capture the attention of famous director Irving Pitchell. And at the time, Maria told Natalie, who was five, again, five years old, you better make Mr. Pitchell love you. Mm-mm. No pressure there. Mm-mm. We love we love a mom like that. Mm-mm. Maria said that Pitchell... Now, Maria was known to elaborate things, but she said that Irving Pitchell became so enamored with Natalie that he legitimately asked if he could adopt her and sent attorneys to their house and did all this stuff. And they were like, no, that's my daughter. But, you know. No, they were probably like, no, that's my paycheck. Oh, mic drop. That's true. Pitchell eventually helped Natalie land a role in the romance film Tomorrow is Forever. And this role required five-year-old Natalie to cry on cue, which she had trouble with, again, because she's She's a five-year-old and lacked any formal training. At first, Maria told Natalie, because she's just, again, stellar mom of the year, just picture the family dog dying. That's horrible. Horrible. Well... When that didn't work, she went over, found a butterfly somewhere, and just ripped it in half in front of Natalie. And when Natalie started crying, she kind of pushed her back onto set and said, she's ready now. That's awful. Awful. Wood, after this, started appearing regularly in films following this role and soon received a contract with the film studio, you might have heard of them, 20th Century Fox. And her first major role was that of Susan Walker in the Christmas film, I don't know, you might have heard of it, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. I was about to say, I hadn't heard any of the other movies until Mm -hmm. this one. Um, I I remember her. I'm going to just blow everyone's mind, probably including yours, unless you're just weird like me. I don't like... um, old movies i don't i'm just not interested in black and white movies and i have never seen miracle on 34th street um, i love them do you yeah i'm like a old soul though yeah i have never seen one never been interested in it yeah, there are just sweet. people listening to this right now that I, we have just been canceled but what's the other one i like um there's a different one i like better than that anyway but yeah i like all the black and white movies mm-hmm. i do not so i've never seen that but Around this time, she also got asked to star in the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade, which is a pretty pretty big deal. And Wood found herself in high demand and appeared in over 20 films as a child actress. And then she would go on, you know, to star in more films as an adult. But California's law at that time said that child children actors had to spend at least three hours per day in a classroom. And so Wood would go to set and then go to the classroom or go to the classroom and go to set and yeah, go it, home that was just her life yeah because if you make them work too much it becomes like child labor like it's gonna affect child labor laws mm-hmm. she was a straight a student did great but that i mean her child she didn't have a childhood it was you know go home go to school go to work and that was it like most childhood stars unfortunately natalie's young life didn't come without trauma and when natalie was just 15 her her mom reportedly attempted to pip her out to then 38 year old frank friggin sinatra no i don't know like is he is he i didn't know he was like a nasty dude maybe he was like not her mom was just you know trying to pimp him out but i mean he was like, i could I'm not see, interested I could see her mom just like trying to throw her at whoever was the mm-hmm. most famous at that time mm-hmm. like regardless of whether or not they would be interested she's right. like oh, why don't you go flirt with frank, frank sinatra and she's like no no oh. at age 16 she found more success with the role of judy and rebel without a cause and Natalie reportedly had an affair with the director of the movie, 44-year-old Nicholas Ray, although 
She later told friends that Nicholas had lured her to a hotel under the guise of talking about the movie script and raped her. Okay, well, which is... Which, I mean, even if it was consensual, I do that in air quotes, she was 16, so it's right. not consensual. And so I feel like you hear stories about stuff like that happening all the time. With the, yeah. Like, there's it's lots terrible. of... Yeah, there's lots of directors that mm-hmm. manipulate people because they have so much power. Right. She was nominated for Academy Award for Best Actress in Supporting Role for Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, she didn't win, but she she was uh, nominated. I mean, so. you're still good if you're a nominee. Right, right. In 1956, Natalie graduated from high school, and she was once engaged to her high school sweetheart. You, you know, just your average run-of-the-mill guy. But her mom was like, no, we're not going to have that, and made her return the ring. And the guy was apparently so heartbroken that he attempted to kill himself, which is just very sad. I have a feeling this whole story would turn out differently if she had just married, married her high school right. sweetheart, moved mm-hmm. out of her mom's house. Yeah. There you go. In 1957, Natalie married actor Robert Wagner. Here comes like the key part of the story. She had a crush on him since she was 11 years old. So just Im- imagine marrying your uh, childhood crush. Who yeah. would that? Who would that have been for you? Um, probably Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Yeah. You had a crush on him when you were a child. I was gonna I- say like Arnold from Hey Arnold, who's a cartoon. <laughs> I mean, I can, he was probably the first, like, real life character I, like, had a crush on. From what movie? Newsies. He played Jack Kelly? No. Yes. Christian Bale, if you're listening to this. Anyways, uh, when they met again, she was 18 and he was 26, and they hit it off. But her friends tried to warn her that they didn't think that Robert Wagner was um, 100% heterosexual, but she didn't care. She was like, I like him, he likes me, I don't really care. he was famous, so. Yeah, right. They got married, and unfortunately, the union did not last very long, and the pair ended up splitting up in 1962. Uh, Wagner's team said that Natalie had cheated on Robert with another famous actor, Warren Beatty. And, but Natalie's side, uh, including her sister, Lana Wood, said that Natalie found Robert in bed with another man. So they're both playing the cheating. B- both you- playing the field. Yeah. Natalie was reportedly so upset about this that she attempted to commit suicide by overdose. I, you know, I think she was actually in like a coma in the hospital, and but she was able to get therapy and turn her life around. And on May 30th, 1969, Wood married British producer Richard Gregson after dating for nearly th- three years, and they had a daughter named Natasha. But they ended up getting divorced as well, and they finalized that divorce in 1972. At the time, Robert Wagner also got remarried, but then divorced. And after both of them had these short marriages, they actually rekindled their romance and remarried in 1972. Okay. And she also had gotten divorced from that other husband in 1972, so divorced and remarried. To and, her ex. And I'm always so interested when that happens, like getting divorced and then remarried. It's like, what's, what's the point? Just Yeah. Their the daughter, Courtney, yeah. was born in 1974, so they have two children at this point. Natalie's career started to slow down just a little bit, and she was able to focus more on her family. But she did start working on her last movie, titled Brainstorm, in 1989, and her co-star was the one and only Christopher Walken. I've never heard of that movie, though. I haven't either. But I was showing Chase this other day. It absolutely terrifies me. If you look up a picture of young Christopher Walken and um, Scarlett Johansson, they look the same. I, absolutely identical. There is not a chance in this world that they're not related or he's not secretly her father. I'm, I'm just saying. Go look it that'll up right be, now. It will blow episode. your mind. Mm-hmm. Conspiracies. Robert was apparently very jealous of Christopher Walken and did not like the fact that he and Natalie were playing a romantic couple, but it's like she's you're, an actress. That's yeah, what you do. You're married to an actress. Mm-hmm. Get over that. There were rumors that Natalie had an affair with Christopher Walken, but this was never confirmed. And in her 1984 book titled Natalie, her sister Lana writes that Natalie did take a great liking to Christopher. Quote, I don't know if Natalie's love affair with Chris was imaginary or real, though my strong suspicion is that it was all in her mind and that perhaps she was only wishing it to be so. I could see how that would get like lines would get blurred, though, if you're playing playing a love affair. Yeah. And then especially like we were talking about. You know, when when actors do this like immersive mm-hmm. acting method, yeah, method, acting, yeah. then where do you draw it, the line? Yeah, I don't know. That's why I'm not an actress. Same. Uh, besides the fact that I am not talented. Um, <laughs> director of Brainstorm, Douglas Trumbull, w- was like, they're 
definitely not into each other because he said, There was a love scene between the two. It was a sex scene, actually. And I found out in the shooting of the scene that there was almost no physical charisma between them at all. And so that made me believe in retrospect now that the suggestion that there was some love triangle between Natalie and Christopher and RJ, that's what they called Robert Wagner, or something like that, whatever anyone would make of it is not true. I think it's impossible. So uh, that might have been the reason you never heard of Brainstorm is the chemistry on set, which is <laughs> non-existent. Mm-hmm. Despite being jealous of Christopher Walken, and this is what I don't understand how this entire story started. Robert invited him out uh, for a boating trip on Natalie. He and Natalie's yacht named The Splendor. I think that world is just so much of like socialization and networking. That mm-hmm. I mean, if if they're all in the same field they're all actors or producers or mm-hmm. managers or whatever so it doesn't even matter if he didn't like him he right well speak. if you because if you cut him off like personally you yeah. also cut him off like business wise mm-hmm. and what if he wanted him to star in one of his movies i, mean, I just don't understand that life period on november 27 1981 robert natalie christopher and splendor's captain dennis davern set sail for just a fun little getaway they that is had, weird. Just the th- three of them? Just the four of us. Inclu- and then four, and including the captain. three of us and a captain. They had planned to sail to Catalina Island and just have a nice little rich person, famous person time. Robert and Natalie, they the report said that they got in an argument that night because for whatever reason, Robert wanted to move the boat because of the weather. And Natalie did not want him moving the boat. And because she was upset about this, this is another part of the story I just don't understand at all. The captain agreed to take Natalie ashore in the 13-foot inflatable dinghy of the boat. And that dinghy had a name. It was the Prince Valiant. You know you're rich when you have a yacht and then you have a freaking dinghy named the the Prince Prince Valiant. That night, they both, Natalie and the captain of the ship, both stayed in a hotel Two rooms were ordered, but only one was disturbed the next morning. And when the police first asked Dennis about this, he lied, saying that all four adults had stayed on the ship that night. However, later he recanted and admitted that he and Natalie did stay in the same room, but nothing happened. What? And what? you just left the other two people on the boat with no (gasps) captain? Right. What? Honest. But I, I guess it's like, like docked or whatever. You know. It's I think not they kind of like put an anchor down anchored, in the middle yeah. of, the, of the ocean. But, but still, I'm not. I'm yeah. not letting the captain. Just get that off whole the boat. thing confuses me. They returned to the boat the next morning, and nothing more was really said about that. And then one night, then on the night of November 28th, so the next day, everyone got dinner together at Doug's Harbor Reef. The night manager at the restaurant said that he was worried about everyone getting back to the boat safely because the group was just you know, plastered drunk. A waitress reported that the group drank two bottles of wine, two bottles of champagne, and one of the men was just throwing back daiquiris the whole oh, night. Oh my gosh, I'm just, that was Robert. No, see, I can just imagine Christopher Walken oh, just smashing some daiquiris, some dax. They left the restaurant at around 10.30 that night, and when they all got back to the boat, Robert and Christopher Walken got into a heated argument. Because uh, nothing goes better together than people who don't like each other and, and alcohol. And daiquiris. Robert was mad that Walken was trying to convince Natalie to get back into acting, and he believed that Natalie, but Walken believed that Natalie could have a balanced life acting and having a family and career, but Robert liked her as like a stay-at-home mom, which there's probably like a good balance between that, but I don't know. Robert just wanted her to live that stay-at-home life, and Christopher Walken thought she was meant for more than that. One of the many inconsistencies that evolved over the years was Robert Wagner later stating that he and Christopher gotten into an argument about politics, not family, when originally he said it was about family. So, and more inconsistencies will come out later that we'll talk about. It didn't help that Robert felt that Natalie and Walken had been flirting that night, which you knew they were, you were already suspicious of that anyway. Why did you bite them on on this trip? Things were pretty heated up, and at one point the captain stated that Wagner smashed a bottle of wine on the table and yelled at Walken, what are you trying to do? F my wife? So. And then where do you go? Because you're on a boat. Because you're on a boat, and I you guess invited you somebody take- you didn't like that you thought was sleeping with your wife. It's very confusing. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Natalie was annoyed that the two were fighting and reportedly ended up going to her own room, and at around 11.05, Robert said... He went to kiss Natalie goodnight, and he realized that she and one of the boat's dinghies were missing. One of the boat's dinghies. One of them. The, you know, just the Prince Valiant. The captain suggested turning on all the boat's lights to search for Natalie, but Robert didn't want to do this because he didn't want to bring attention to the boat because he's, like, so famous and stuff. But your wife's missing, dude. 
Two witnesses were on a nearby boat stated that they heard a woman screaming for help during the night, and they also heard a man sounding very drunk and saying in a mocking tone, Okay, honey, we'll get you. Is that, does that sound like a drunk? Hold on. It's probably more slur that. Okay, honey. No, wait. No. <laughs> we can't do accents. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he was he was being sarcastic. Like she, I just imagine her drowning in the water, and he's like, "Okay, honey, we'll get yeah, you. Okay, Don't yeah. worry." And then he just goes back well, and drinks and some the, more daiquiris. The fact that those two, the the witnesses, could tell that he was drunk and mm-hmm. mocking from his tone. Like, yeah. They said that these calls for help lasted for approximately half an hour. I guess these people had also had them some daiquiris. And <laughs> why didn't they go in and help? So, uh, one thing I was watching, there was another boat also nearby that was having a party, and they couldn't tell if the cries were coming from that or whatever. They did call Harbor Patrol, but no one answered. And they were like, well, I did all we I tried. could do. I washed my hands. <laughs> the same witness said that she received an anonymous note at work stating, if you value your life, keep quiet about what you know. Yikes. Double yikes. The boat sent out a distress signal at 1.30 a.m. That's just, you know, four hours after they realized she was missing. Gosh. And uh, it was, you know. They're like, anybody sent that boat out yet? Uh Uh-huh. On November 29th, at approximately 8 a.m., 43-year-old Natalie Wood was found dead in the water, and it was approximately one mile from the boat. Which is not that far. Nope. She was found dressed in a nightgown, wool socks. That says wool socks. Typo, and a red down jacket. The medical examiner later said that she, if, if she had taken off that down jacket, she probably would not have drowned because it was so heavy. That's what he said. But also, I saw where she didn't know how to swim, so I'm going to guess that was the well, primary yeah, cause of her drowning. Her whole, also, I, did she just like get over her fear of water? We'll get to that. Because okay, I, cause I that makes just, sense. I just thought about that. Why did that you get on a boat if you used to be scared to wash mm-hmm. your hair? Yeah. She was also found near the inflatable dinghy, which had washed ashore. The key to the ignition of the boat was turned off to the off position. The gear was in neutral, and the oars were tied down. So this made it seem like she had never started the vessel. Like somebody had just pushed it out there to pretend like. I guess so. The autopsy found that Wood's blood alcohol content was 0.14 and that there were traces of motion sickness pills and painkillers in her bloodstream, both of which increased the effects of alcohol. There were bruises all over her body and an abrasion on her left cheek. Which, where did those come from? Uh, Right. Los Angeles County Coroner ruled the case of her death to be, quote, accidental drowning and hypothermia. Okay, I could get that minus the bruising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, we're going to get to that in okay. a second. I, like, I could go with that, minus the bruising. Because she was drunk. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. The initial assump- assumption was that Natalie went to untie the dinghy and fell overboard. But like you said, Natalie was absolutely terrified of water. So, why would she go get on this dinghy by, by herself? herself? Even if yeah. she was drunk. If she's been terrified of water since like, a child. I feel like alcohol would only make you more scared of the things you're already scared of. Also, if she was going to get on the dinghy in the middle of the night, why was she only dressed in a nightgown right. and sock? Where were her shoes? Right. Also, when she fell into the water, there's, you know, little sh- uh, uh, ladders around mm-hmm. the boat. Why didn't she just get back on one of those? Because they later found scratch marks on the side of the dinghy indicating that she had tried to climb back onto the dinghy. But why wouldn't you have just gotten on the ladder on the boat? Robert said that Natalie often got annoyed with the dinghy banging against the side of the boat and possibly went to tie it down. He said that she probably slipped on the steps that were normally covered with water and algae, hit her head, and then fell into the water. The only problem with this is uh, the steps looked undisturbed. There was still algae and stuff on them. Also, a rubber dinghy hitting the side of a boat wouldn't make much sound, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And hitting her head, they would have found like one massive blow to her head not all the bruises all over her body Mm -hmm. and she just had a small abrasion on her cheek so i don't know stories have changed over the years and people on or around the boat have changed their stories or just say that they you know miraculously remember more than they did at the time originally the day after the incident captain davern said he was asked to go to wagner's bedroom at his beverly hills home where he met with a lawyer and was told to quote say nothing the captain wrote Wagner informed me that he would hire an attorney who would handle my statement about Natalie Wood's disappearance and drowning, which he did before Natalie Wood's funeral. I signed a statement the appointed attorney drafted, one completely void of the facts surrounding Natalie Wood's disappearance. 
Detective Dwayne Rasher accepted the statement that had been prepared for me, a statement claiming that I did not know the details about Natalie Wood's disappearance from the yacht. Although I did not want to reveal what I knew, no, I'm sorry. Although I did want to reveal what I knew, I obeyed what he had asked of me. So he knew more than he was being allowed to say. Right. It seems that way. Dennis Stavern wrote a book where he stated that Natalie and Robert got into their own fight that night after Christopher Walken went to his own room. He heard the couple arguing, and then everything went quiet. He did not see, but believes that Robert pushed Natalie off the boat. He said that the last thing he heard before it went quiet was Robert yelling, Get off my effing boat. Suspicious. Yeah. Dennis. He's the most suspicious. Robert's the most suspicious of the three other people on Mm -hmm. there. Dennis was among 700 plus people who have now signed a petition over the flawed investigation into Wood's death, wanting them to open it up, look back into it. Michael Franco, who was an intern at the coroner's office, he said that the way Natalie had these like friction striation marks between her thighs uh, that weren't consistent with her falling off a boat might have looked like more so like she was pushed off a boat. I don't know. It just wasn't consistent with like a the story they jump. were given. Yeah. The guy that did Natalie's autopsy was the same guy that did Marilyn Monroe's autopsy. And he told this Franco Intern. person, some things are better left unsaid. And that's not how you, who you want doing your autopsy. Speaking of, we, yeah, we got to cover Marilyn Monroe. I, know, I just thought about that mm-hmm. too. The case into her death was reopened in 2011, and in 2012, the cause of her death was changed to drowning and other undetermined factors, because it was drowning and hypothermia. hypothermia. Walken hired a lawyer, cooperated with the investigation, and was not uh, considered a suspect by authorities. On January 14, 2013, the Los Angeles County's coroner's office offered a 10-page addendum to Wood's autopsy report. It's never good. When That's they, a lot of yeah. pages. The addendum stated that Wood might have sustained some of the bruises on her body before she went to the water, but this could not be definitively determined. Unless that water is filled with, like, rocks and massive driftwood, mm-hmm. it's not going to bruise her. Right. There was another pathologist who said that Wood was on the drug Synthroid, which is used to treat hypothyroidism, and that would make her more susceptible to bruising. So I don't know, but still, like, hitting water, I think, off, like, the deck of the boat, I wouldn't think you would get that bruise, because, you know, I, like, sometimes I fall off the pier at the lake, and we don't end up with... Doesn't leave you bruised. Yeah. Christopher Walken allegedly made comments to an anonymous source that he saw Wagner push Natalie off the boat, but has since lawyered up, and there are things he has said over the years. He did talk to um, People Magazine at one point and said, I don't know what happened. She she slipped and fell in the water. I was in bed then. It was a terrible thing. Look, we're in a conversation. I won't have it. It's an effing bore. What does that mean? Oh, I'm sorry. Talking about this woman that was your friend's life ending is an effing bore. I'm sure he got like called into that. as like, oh, let's talk about your like awesome acting career. And they ask mm-hmm. him about this. And he's like, just gets mad. Yeah. He also talked to Playboy and stated, anybody there saw the logistics of the boat that night, where we were, that it was raining, and would know exactly what happened. You hear about things happening to people. They slip in the bathtub, fall down the stairs, step off the curb in London because they think the cars come the other way, and they die. You feel you want to die making an effort at something, and you don't want to die in some unnecessary way. What happened that night only she knows because she was alone. She had gone to bed before us, and her room was at the back. A dinghy was bouncing around the side of the boat, and I think she went out to move it. There was a ski ramp that was partially in the water. It was slippery. I had walked on it myself. She had told me she couldn't swim, in fact. They had to cut swimming scene from Brainstorm, and she was probably half asleep, and she was wearing a coat. What is that last sentence? Like, he's explaining the whole thing, and he was like, she was probably half, and she was wearing a coat. She was tired and had a jacket. (laughs) My, I mean, if anything, I'm going to go with the, she had a lot to drink that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the fact that she had a jacket on. Yeah. He also spoke with Vanity Fair saying the people who are convinced that there was something more to it than what came out in the investigation will never be satisfied with the truth because the truth is there was nothing more to it. It was an accident. But was it though? Because there was a lot I mean, of suspect I, I things don't, happening. I still don't think he had anything to do with it, but I think he knows what happened, and he just or he at least knows more than he's saying. Yeah, I think he knows more than he was saying, but I, but I don't think he mm-hmm. I don't think he did it, but I do think he knows more than he was saying. In February 2018, Wagner was officially named a person of interest by the police, and he's currently 91 years old. Fun fact. 
as of 2021, no one has been charged with Natalie's death, but there is a new DA who has privately pledged to push the case. Robert Wagner has also said things over the years. He wrote a book called Pieces of My Heart that states, Yes, I blame myself. If I'd been there, I could have done something. I wasn't, but ultimately a man is responsible for his loved one. I would have done anything in the world to protect her. Anything. I lost a woman I love with all my heart, and I will never completely come to terms with that. No. You would have done anything, but she waited four f- hours to no. call the Coast Guard? No, I'm not buying that. Wagner's spokesperson said, Although no one in the Wagner family has heard from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department about this matter, they fully support the efforts of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and trust they will evaluate whether any new information relating to the death of Natalie Wood Wagner is valid and that it comes from a credible source or sources other than those simply trying to profit from the 30-year anniversary of her tragic death. So he thinks that every time somebody just reopens a case, they're just trying, just trying to, to like, yeah. get a little bit of notoriety. Right. Which there, if they were, there's a lot. There's a lot of celebrities out there doing crazy stuff that you could right, report. That you could, yeah, that you could make some money off of. I don't know. It seems suspicious to me. The, just the why is she on a boat? With I, know, I, the, I, I don't. I'm not afraid of the water. Or I'm the not ocean, either. I'm but, a, I, but I'm not getting on a. But I'm not. We talked about this last week. I'm not getting on a. I'm cruise. not getting on a cruise ship. I'm not getting on a yacht. I'm not getting on a boat. So that doesn't make sense. And the fact that they said she went to tie the dinghy or get on the dinghy by herself, that absolutely doesn't make sense. That's another thing. Because again, even if I am scared of the water and I go, okay, a yacht is huge. I feel fairly safe on the yacht. That doesn't mean I'm going to go close to the edge Mm -hmm. by myself Mm -hmm. at night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is the mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood. No mermaids came to save her. Nope, they sure didn't. No daughters of the air whisked her away. Nope, sadly they did not. But uh, let us know. I like to know what people think when there's kind of a mystery. Did you just hear Chase like hack up along in the background? We mm-hmm. get, this this episode we got birds chirping. We, at one point I heard George meow. We got Chase hawking up along. It's fine. We're talking about things we want to do in the future of the show. We're talking about doing because not there all, are a lot of things that came up. We want to talk more about mermaids, mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. But I'm talking about even new new horizons for us, oh. like. The, there's legends, there's fairy tales, but there's also places that inspire mm-hmm. those legends and fairy tales. So talking about haunted places or just different things, I don't know. We do we do in a lot of these. We talk haunted about bodies of water. We want to visit and not mm-hmm. visit. The Bermuda Triangle, those things. Yeah, past. I told Hannah that Chase took a NyQuil. That's why he's haw- hawking his lung up in the background because he's sick. He took a NyQuil the other night and he just looked at me and said, you know what? I think you should have a segment called not Blues Clues, but Booze Clues. And and I was like, and I was like, what what is that? What would that look like? And he was like, I don't know. You should talk about spooky stuff. And I was like, our whole podcast is about spooky stuff. So anyway, he wanted maybe maybe we'll rebrand instead of scary tales. We're just Booze booze Clues. Also booze. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) But let us know. Um, We've been talking. We've been going over things we'd want to call it. Yep, we have a whole list of things. The scary spaces, something like that. I mean, that that one's horrible, but something better. Scary spots, scary spaces, doomed spooky destinations, spaces. spooky spaces. We'll think of something. But in the meantime, you can check us out on our Instagram, Scary, scary Tales. Tales Podcast. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you thought about the episode, and we'll have a new episode coming up for you shortly. Any other, any other final thoughts? That's all, that's all I got. I'm still thinking about the um, ending of The Little Mermaid now. Yeah. Um... My I'm final gonna, thought is just don't don't do the boats. Yeah, I'm not. No, don't do it. I'm gonna stay on land. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Ariel. Sorry. All right. See you guys next time. Bye bye. Bye.